Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today we're going to take a look at one of the wonderful prophecies of the Bible in Psalm 2. Prophecy is one of the great subjects of the Bible. It's one of the key ways that God proves that it's his word. He says, I am God, there is no other, and I declare the end from the beginning. And much Bible prophecy is, of course, about the Messiah, um, the Christ, God's anointed man. He was prophesied from the start of time that he was the one who would come and save mankind from his lost condition, from his sins, from the power of darkness. The first prophecy in Genesis 3.15 talks about that he would be the seed of a woman, born of a virgin, that he would suffer a sacrificial death, but then rise again and crush Satan under his feet. And other prophecies say that he'd be both God and man. Uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel of the Mighty God. That he would be God manifested in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And so he would be the God-man. And he would destroy the works of the devil. He would be man's savior. He would reign as God's anointed king. There are two streams of messianic prophecy. The sufferings and the glory. The, the prophecies that focus on the first coming and then the glory of his second coming. In his first coming, he comes with humility as a suffering servant to die a sacrificial death. In, the, in his second coming, he comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to reign over the earth. And these two pictures are so different that many Jews thought they would be two messiahs. Um, but we know there is just one messiah, Jesus, and it's to do with his two comings. Now, some messianic prophecies just talk about his first coming as the suffering servant. Other prophecies talk about his second coming in power as the king of kings. Some prophecies talk about the first coming and then they immediately jump to the second coming and, and without any clue that there's a time gap between the first and second coming that we know is about 2,000 years. And so they, they jump to over 2,000 years into the second coming. But finally, there are some prophecies that talk about the first coming and the second coming and they also talk and center on the time in between. And of note of these prophecies, and they have special importance, is Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And they are especially important, and, and that's shown by the fact that the New Testament quotes these Psalms more than any other prophecy in the Bible. Psalm 2 is quoted at least four times, Psalm 110 over ten times. And today we're going to study Psalm 2, and next time Psalm 110. And uh, they, they, they go together as a pair. Um, some of the key features that are true in both of these Psalms is that we see the Messiah come as a, as a man in his first coming and accomplish his work. And, and then he is uh, ascended and made to sit on God's throne. He's installed as God's king on God's throne. So he's accomplished his work, but he's in heaven. And then he is seated at the right hand of God for a certain period of time. Meanwhile, on earth, there is a spiritual warfare going on, but he is actually ruling through his people in this spiritual warfare. 
And it says that this will only go on for a certain period of time because when God releases him, he will then return again. He's the son of man and the son of God. He's the king, God's anointed king, God's Messiah. But when God tells him, he will return in his second coming. And in that return, he comes as the king that judges his enemies and establishes his kingdom. And so these prophecies point to his first coming, a time in between of spiritual warfare, when he's seated on God's throne, and the second coming, when he wraps things up and puts his enemies completely under his feet. And so these psalms are particularly important for us because they describe the spiritual warfare that we are in now. We now know that the time in between, which was not directly prophesied, or rather, let me say, the church was not prophesied directly in the Old Testament. It was hidden in Christ. But yet these psalms apply particularly to us because the time in between of this spiritual warfare is what we're in right now. And so this is why these psalms were particularly important in the New Testament to, to explain what was happening right now before the Messiah returns again. Well, let's go today to Psalm 2. It's a cosmic drama describing the present time of spiritual warfare. And it shows us what part we are to play in that warfare. And it's a drama. And the first scene is the curtains draw back. And the focus is on the unsaved masses of humanity. And we see the psalmist or the Holy Spirit through the psalmist yearning for the unsaved masses of humanity and darkness and deception in strife against God. And he asks, and I think out of a heart of love, he says, why do the nations rage? And the people imagine or meditate on a vain thing, a worth, worth, worthless things, empty things. We see the nations in turmoil driven by empty philosophies and dreams. Why do they ignore and reject the God who loves them? Why do they think they can solve the world's problems and save themselves without God's help? Why are they are in darkness and confusion, raging and struggling against each other. And the question is why? Why is this going on? And the qu this question is answered in the next verse as we look at scene two, because the camera now moves up higher into the spiritual realm, and we see that these peoples in darkness are, being, are under the control of a spiritual force. And uh, by, they are being controlled by unseen, rebellious rulers. Psalm 2.2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And the anointed one here is the Messiah, who by, by definition is a man, an anointed man, because God doesn't need to be anointed. And this Messiah is, of course, Christ, the King. And it is important to understand that the anointed one, the Christ, is a man, because that way we can be united to him, we can be identified with him, because he has become the head of a new breed of humanity who are in him. So we are in this psalm, we're going to see, because we are in the Messiah, the Christ. And so the psalmist opens our eyes to the spiritual realm. And these people are under the powers of kings and rulers. 
And though it certainly includes human rulers who are definitely working against God, it's primarily describing demonic principalities and powers because Satan's called the God, the prince of this world. These people, the people are blinded and deceived. But the rulers, on the other hand, know exactly what they're doing. They're in determined, organized opposition to the Lord. It says they take counsel together. They set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. They know exactly what they're doing. These are the demonic powers. They work through human rulers, but they are the spiritual rulers of the world system, holding man in darkness. And we are seeing one side of the spiritual warfare, the enemies of God. And the battleground that's going on in this warfare is not over physical territory. The battleground is over the souls of men. And here we see Satan and his forces trying to control mankind. And on the other side of the warfare is the Lord and his anointed. Well, we know that Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. Satan and his forces, he's called it three times. He said, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of the world is coming, but has nothing in me. The ruler of the world is judged. Jesus defeated the ruler of this world, Satan, on the cross. 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. 1 Corinthians 2.6 talks about the rulers of this age that are coming to nothing. And that if the rulers of the age knew God's plan, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And we also hear that Satan is the God of this world who blinds the minds of unbelievers. And Ephesians talks about Satan being the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. And that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the age. And so when it says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, these are the spiritual principalities and powers. So the scene is set with a great war between the kings of the earth and the Lord of heaven over the nations and people who are in darkness. You see, the battle is over the inheritance of the precious souls of men. Who is to be an authority over them? The battle is for people. You see, if men shed their blood for land, how much more should we give our lives for the salvation of souls? Well, God has a plan to win the people to his kingdom, and we'll, we'll see that. And his weapon in the warfare is the anointed one. Against the Lord and his anointed, the, his weapon is the anointed one. Now, <clears throat> this is where we talk about the mystery, because, of course, the anointed one is Jesus is the Christ. And he was anointed, wasn't he, to, with God's power to set people free from the power of Satan and to save them. It says that how Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power who went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It says the, the reason the Son of God was manifested was to destroy the works of the devil. It says the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointed one destroys the works of the devil. Well, Christ means the anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. And you see, it's, but it's not just Christ. Now the church is in the psalm too. We're in this psalm. Where are we? Because we are in the anointed one. This is the mystery. The church isn't directly visible in the Old Testament because it was a mystery hidden in Christ by God 
and it was only revealed in the New Testament. But we are there in Christ. What was kept secret was that through his death and resurrection, Christ would be at the head of a new breed of humanity that is also his body, the church. And he's the head, we are the body, but we are all, we are Christ. We are all anointed ones together. And so his weapon in the warfare is his anointed, and that includes us, because we are in Christ. We are Christians, Christians. We are in Christ. We've died with him. We've risen with him. We're given his same victory. We're given his same mission. We're given his same authority. We're given his same power. We're to continue his work. Praise God. Just as we shared position and authority and nature with the first Adam, so now we share all of that with the second Adam, Christ. And so when it talks about that these principalities and powers are set against the Lord and his anointed, it's not just Jesus in heaven, but it's his anointed. That's us now on earth. We're in the middle of this spiritual warfare and the battle is over the souls of men. Praise God. So we can apply that to us because of the mystery. Now, when we see the anointed, that's us. We, the power of God is on us to set men free. The words we speak, the power of the Holy Spirit flows through us and breaks the yoke of bondage and sets them free from that deception. So on the one hand, we've got the demonic powers holding men in darkness. On the other side is the Lord and his anointed, though his weapon in the war which is us as well. And the demons hold the unsaved in the yoke of bondage, but the anointing through the anointed ones will break the yoke. And now we're going to see the, the camera again moves and it focuses on the demons and what they're saying about the anointed ones. And it's, let us break their bands asunder and let us cast away their cords from us. I want you to notice that the demons are not happy. They are not, they're in bondage because of the anointed ones. See, the anointing binds up the enemy. All is not well for them. You see, once there was just one anointed one, Jesus Christ. But when he rose from the dead, there are millions and even billions of anointed ones carrying the presence of God. And you know, when you walk in the spirit and when you speak God's word, every demon is bound up. And they're desperately trying to throw off that bondage. They can't operate in your presence. If you know who you are in Christ, if you walk in the Spirit, they are in terrible bondage. They can't operate. We carry the presence of Jesus. We represent his victory and Satan's defeat. And you are messing up their plans. You shouldn't be afraid of them because they're afraid of you. And in their panic, they're trying to throw off the bondage. Now the camera angle. So the power of God on the side of the Lord and his anointed is far greater than the demonic powers. Then the next scene, the focus goes up. The camera now goes up to God in heaven. What is his attitude? What's the Lord's response to this battle, to this organized opposition? Is he impressed by these demonic powers? Is he worried? Does he think he might lose? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And there's a surprise. He sits on the throne of the universe. He has all power and all authority. He sees their attempts to escape their bondage and to defeat him in, in this warfare. And he laughs them to scorn. He sees their plans and he rolls around laughing. He's in heaven far above. 
Who do they think they are, he says. I created them and they think they can succeed against me. They think they can destroy me. They think they can remove me. They think they can make me not exist by keeping on saying it. That is a joke. And you know, God never worries. Heaven is always full of joy. You know, you might be facing difficult circumstances. You might be tempted to fear and to worry. You know, and to feel defeated. But if only you could listen into heaven. If only you could tune into heaven. You know, you would hear the joy of heaven. You would not hear a God saying, you know, oh, I, he's messed up so much this time. I don't think he can help. I can help him. No, you'd hear his laughter. He laughs at the enemy's feeble plans. Praise God. And if, you know, he says, if only he could see what I know. If only he could see the power that I have, he wouldn't worry about that situation. He would just trust me because he would know that I've already won the victory. And you know, when you tune into heaven, the joy of heaven will, will, will pour into your soul and you'll laugh with heaven. You'll have the spirit of victory. You know, you, you can, um, you know, the devil comes and says, oh, you'll never make it, you're defeated. And you just laugh. <laughs> if you know the truth, you'll just laugh because you say, I'm not trying to get the victory. I've already got the victory. <laughs> Jesus has already won the victory and I'm a winner and you're, a, you're the loser, Satan. And you can laugh in his face. Because, you see, the devil lays trap, can lay traps for 30 years or 40 years to make a man go to hell, to believe and to turn against God and to believe, you know, lies against God. And then you come, after all his careful work over 30 and 40 years, you come along in the anointing of God and speak the word of God. And the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage and they're set free and they're saved because the power of Jesus breaks that bondage in a moment. And so his power is far greater. But there's a serious side to God as well. The devil has held mankind in cruel bondage for too long. So righteous anger now. He has that laugh, but now righteous anger rises up in the Lord and he announces his judgment on the demonic powers. Then it, then it says, he shall speak to them in his wrath, in his anger, and vex them in his sore displeasure. You know, when God speaks, the demons tremble. tremble and he declares their judgment. He declares their defeat. And when God speaks through your mouth, when you speak the word of God, the demons tremble when you announce their judgment and their defeat. They lose their confidence. They flee and tremble. and They flee in terror. If you know the truth, if you know that God's on his throne, and if you know that you are anointed of God to enforce his victory, the demons will tremble as you speak God's word. The next verse then tells us what God says as his answer to Satan in this conflict. And this is something we need to declare as well. What God says is, so verse 6, yet, what he's basically saying is, you're, you've already lost, Satan. You've already lost. Your judgment is sealed. Verse 6, yet I have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have installed my king at my right hand, in other words. The king, of course, is Christ, the anointed one. 
And what he's saying is he's already dealt the crushing blow to the enemy. This is his answer to all the tactics of the enemy. You see, God sent forth his anointed weapon, Jesus, into the earth. And he went in and he destroyed the power of the devil on the cross. And he rose victorious and he ascended far above all principality and power. He's seated now in the heavenly places. He's installed as the king. He has all authority and the devil is under his feet. Hallelujah. He, the fact that he's sitting down now means his work is done. And God's answer to Satan is, I have set my king on the throne. He's accomplished. This is the completed victory of Christ. The battle's been won. Satan's been defeated. That's why God laughs at their futile efforts. In other words, God says, all authority has already been given to my king. He's already installed as king. And you are already defeated. And that's when we face Satan in the warfare, we confess that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is, is Lord. He has already defeated all evil powers once and for all. And we have that victory in Christ. And that is the answer to Satan in the spiritual warfare. We're not trying to win a spiritual warfare. We just stand our ground in the victory and say, Jesus has been, has defeated Satan and he is now seated at the right hand of God and being given the name above every name and at the name of Jesus every knee must bow including your name Satan and then the scene now the camera now focuses to the anointed king Jesus who's been exalted to the right hand of God verse 7 this is what Jesus says I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me you are my son this day I have begotten you he declares what God had said to him. You are my son. This day I've begotten you. When did this happen? Well, this is quoted in the New Testament three times. And it's the resurrection this happened. Because Jesus took on our sin. And he died, spirit, soul, and body. But when God raised him from the dead, he, re, re, he was, he was uh, resurrected. And he became the head of a new humanity, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is risen from the dead. He's the firstborn of many brethren. He is the head of a new humanity. Acts 13 says, God fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And God spoke into 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 death into hell and he said Jesus come forth from the dead you are my son this day I've begotten you and Jesus God regenerated Jesus humanity and he raised and was glorified Hebrews 1 5 he says to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today I've begotten you and again I'll be to him a father and he'll be to me a son and Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You see, this is his coronation. And what does Jesus do in the spiritual warfare? He con confesses what God said to him. He declares his position, that he has, this has been done. And in Christ, we can apply this to ourselves because we've been raised with Christ above principalities and powers. In Christ, we've been given authority in his name. And we are to declare this also, you see, because the Bible says he's the firstborn among many brethren. 
So we need to make the same declaration. I am God's son. I am born again. I've been raised with Jesus, seated with him, far above all principality and power. I am anointed with the Holy Spirit. I have ruling power over Satan's forces in Jesus' name. I'm more than a conqueror. We need to be positioned in the spiritual warfare, in the victory of Jesus Christ that we have already overcome. And we are in Christ. We are in the victory. And when we know this and declare that, the demons abound in our presence. And now we come to the key verse in the psalm, which tells us our role in the warfare. God says to the Messiah and to us in Christ, ask of me and I will give you the nations, your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth, your possessions. You see, these nations, the peoples, are our inheritance. But we need to ask of God to claim that inheritance. You see, Jesus paid for them with our blood, but now it's up to us to gain this inheritance, the peoples of this earth. And what he's saying is, as Joshua was told to go and claim the promised land, which was inhabited by evil powers, but God said, I give them to you, now you go possess them. Now God says to us in this warfare, go, I command the great commission, go and claim your inheritance, preach the gospel. And what he's saying is, ask of me whatever you need of, need from me to get the job done, need boldness, you, you need the anointing of God, you need healings, whatever you need to get the job done, ask of me and I will give you the, that inheritance. Go and claim your inheritance in that warfare. It's a divine mandate to ask God for what you need to fulfill your mission. And then he says, you, this is the promise, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He says, go, use my rod of iron, use my name. He says, and you will break the demonic powers and they'll break before you. The deceptions will break before you like a potter's vessel is broken by a rod of iron. And then the focus goes to the preaching of the gospel, to the ends of the earth. He says, now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, that's worship Christ as Lord. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For in a little time his wrath will be kindled. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. He says soon he's going to come again. His wrath will be kindled and he will destroy and it will be too late. But meanwhile you need to put your trust in him. Blessed, saved are all those who put their trust in him. This is the gospel that needs to go out to the ends of the earth.